the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, friends. This is Crystal Thornton from 104.1 The Fish, and welcome to another episode of Life Inspired. Joining our panel today is KPDQ 93.9's very own Georgine Rice and Summer Shore. Hi, Georgine. Also, (laughs) Summer Shore from 104.1 The Fish and KPDQ. She is all over the place, (laughs) y'all. Hi. We've all been dealing with a a lot of unexpected change in the last few months that has literally turned our lives upside down. And some of that change has been stressful, to say the least, from the novel coronavirus that has kept us quarantined now for more than four months to the unrest in our nation from the recent public killing of Mr. George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. And, you know, we just wanted to invite someone on to join our panel that can help us navigate how to manage the emotional, the physical trauma that these events have had on our lives. So we invited a professional to join us today. Please welcome to Life Inspired, Daniel Render Termode. Did I say that correct, Danielle? <laughs> it's Termode, but you were very close. I'm really impressed, actually. <laughs> uh, Danielle Render Termode. Is that better? There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> she is a counseling professional who specializes in working with survivors of trauma. Danielle is a faculty member at Multnomah University in Portland, where she teaches undergraduate and graduate applied psychology and counseling courses. She is presently working towards obtaining her PhD in counseling and counselor education and has a heart for participating in advocacy efforts towards the destigmatization of trauma and its effects. I hope you can say that 10 times. Come on. <laughs> Some of her advocacy efforts include writing as an expert blog author on trauma for psychology today, creating resources for the Christian community and public on the topics of trauma, presenting and speaking domestically and internationally on topics related to trauma, conducting trainings on trauma-informed care, and conducting research related to the psychological effects of trauma. And I'm telling you, if we didn't get the right person, then I just didn't do my homework well enough. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It is an absolute pleasure, and I'm really excited to be here and to be speaking with all of you. So thank you for the privilege it is for me to be here. You're so welcome. Well, people handle stress, tragedy, and hurt in different ways. And I wanted to talk about how the pandemic, along with the tragedy our nation witnessed in the death of George Floyd, formulated kind of a powder keg, so to speak, in our society. And I've heard you don't have to have served in the military to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Some professionals believe that's exactly what has happened in our society today. Um, Are we suffering from a form of PTSD? 
So I really appreciate that question. And I'm actually going to go back to something you said earlier to help depict what's happening right now. So you said our world has been turned upside down. You are exactly right. Uh, when I think about trauma, I imagine myself standing there and someone taking my feet out from underneath me, my head hitting the floor, and I try to get up and I'm disoriented. Literally, my whole world and reality was just flipped upside down. And I don't know what's what. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. I don't know how to cope. That is how I imagine trauma and what it does to our nervous system, to our bodies, to every part of who we are. Um, so to answer your question, I wanted to kind of just give that visual as we're talking about what trauma is, because I think it's a powerful one as we think about what that would be like when we've ever fallen down and we're disoriented and we don't really know what's happening. So we're currently in a time of what's called collective trauma. So when you think about trauma, trauma are situations or experiences that leave people to feel threatened emotionally or physically, but collective trauma is different because collective trauma involves entire groups of people communities and societies. So we are in a time right now where collectively we are all dealing with traumatic situations, both the COVID pandemic and the oppression and the, the violence that's occurring towards the black community and minorities. And so we are in a time of collective trauma where literally all of our worlds have been taken, turned upside down and our brains are frantically learning how to cope and respond and process. Now, in response specifically to post-traumatic stress disorder, yes, some of us could be struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. You're absolutely correct. It is not specific to veterans or even just sexual assault survivors, which are the two kind of populations that's talked about a lot. But post-traumatic stress disorder can actually be a disorder that people can deal with in response to essentially any type of trauma that's experienced. With trauma, though, what's interesting is it's a spectrum. So some people may be dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's a large spectrum involving traumatic stress. And it, there's a number of criteria you have to get to to meet PTSD. But traumatic stress itself, there's a large spectrum. And in response to trauma, many of us, especially in times of collective drama, are actually having a traumatic response ourselves as our brains are really overwhelmed and trying to figure out what's what. So how do we deal with all of this tragedy and grief? Yeah, a really valuable question. And so first and foremost, I always say the foundation is meeting ourselves where we are. We live in a society, I call it a whack-a-mole society, where we push down our emotions, we push down the hard thoughts, we push down all the problems. Um, how are you? I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, but in reality, to be able to process and cope and heal and get where we want to go, we first have to go, I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. So that we have that foundation. Because if we don't, it's like, if say you have a medical illness, until you know what that medical illness is, you can't work on it, right? You just keep pushing and going through the motions. And it's, it's the same thing with our mental health and our well-being. If we are ignoring what our body is telling us, which is a gift from God, what our minds are telling us, our emotions are telling us, which are all gifts from God, then we can't know what to do about it. So that's the foundation. I say that's number one. Um, the other thing I'm going to say, so there's a number of different things that we can do to take care of ourselves, but I want to make it really simple, especially for time. So in response to collective trauma, there are, it can impact every aspect of our well-being. So I'm going to give you a big four that I want everyone to remember. So the four big aspects of our being that collective trauma can impact is our physical health, 
which a lot of people don't think it can happen, but it can. Um, our psychological well-being and our emotional health, our relational health, and our spiritual well-being. So all of those four facets can be impacted in response to a collective trauma time like what we're experiencing and traumatic stress and a traumatic trauma response. So something that is really simple that I've been encouraging people to do, and there's a lot more to each of these pieces, but we're just going to make it simple because it, that's sometimes the only thing we can do in response to trauma when our brains are already overwhelmed. Every day I encourage people, each of those four areas, to do one small thing for yourself. So for example, uh, my husband and I will actually do this because we found it really helpful for us. It's uh, So believe it or not, even though I might be quote unquote an expert in trauma, I'm dealing with a trauma response because I'm human. It doesn't matter how much we know about trauma. Our brains were not wired to handle traumatic experiences. Um, and so even though that's the case, our brains are always oriented to grow and change and flourish. And so we have to know how to take care of ourselves in response to that trauma and help them grow in ways that are helpful because our brain can grow and wire in ways that are unhelpful. So the simple way to do that, so my husband and I going back to that story, every day we'll say something we did for our physical health, our psychological and emotional well-being, our relational well-being, and our spiritual well-being. Some days it can be, I needed a nap today. My body was telling me I was really tired. And that's for me, that's personally a big sign for me that I'm not doing as well as usual. My body's saying, I'm exhausted. That's my brain saying, I need help. I'm, I'm more tired than usual. Can you give me a little bit of a boost today? Um, it could be as simple as sending a text to a friend or relational or spiritual um, praying and saying, even if we, so our spirituality can be impacted, like I said, and sometimes a part of that can be challenges talking to God, but even if it's as simple as just saying, God, I'm having a hard time today. Can you be with me? It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be anything big, but just recognizing that we, our well-being really needs our care and our tenderness. So mm -hmm. really summarizing very briefly, I know that's a lot. A, meet ourselves where we are. It's okay to not be okay. Um, in fact, collectively, we're not okay. And that's all right. And then B, do simple, small things um, in, in regarding those four aspects of well-being. And you know what? Whether that means talking to a friend or family or reaching out to a therapist or someone you trust, it's okay to also need to take extra steps. And I'll, I say I'm obviously clearly being a therapist. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I think we all should do it because I think it's a God-given gift to help us grow and change and meet our goals. Um, but those are a few simple steps um, that I would encourage people to take right now and to reach out and lean into resources as they may need more because it's okay to need more as well. Mm -hmm. She just answered my last question. So Georgina, I'm going to turn it over to you. Danielle, <laughs> I'm so grateful that you're here and you use the phrase and it's such a, a perfect way to describe where we are, collective trauma. But we're also uh, experiencing that collective trauma in isolation from one another. I know prior to the pandemic and recent events, loneliness was said to be at epidemic proportions. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the, the role of loneliness and isolation in adding to this trauma. Yeah, I really appreciate that question because um, research actually shows that loneliness and isolation can increase um, traumatic stress. It can increase depression, anxiety, 
a lot of things. It can increase a number of emotional, physical, all, all sorts of challenges. Um, and so one of the things that I've actually been encouraging people in this time, especially because, I mean, with the pandemic, for example, and with even systemic, systemic oppression, it makes sense that there's isolation because there's difficulties in safety, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all areas. And so it can be really easy in this time of collective trauma to isolate or be forced to isolate and quarantine, for example, whether we want to or not. Um, but you're right, it, it can increase our challenges tenfold. And to make things a little bit more complicated, a fairly common response to trauma actually involves people isolating or having difficulties trusting because their brains are trying to process. And so I also don't want to shame people in that either. Some people just aren't ha don't have the capacity to be in a relationship as they're trying to navigate all of these things. And there's still an and there. God gave us community for a reason. There's actually research that shows that relationship and community is really, really important for all our well-being in all aspects. There's actually some neurobiological research that shows that when we feel rejected, the pain sensors in our brain light up hmm. as if we were in pain physically. So that tells us how important relationships are to us. And so I encourage people as much as possible to reach out to people they feel safe with, even if it's just a text to say, I'm having a hard time and I don't really feel like I can talk, but can you pray for me or pray with me? Or can you just reach out every now and then and ask how I'm doing, even if I don't respond, just so I know somebody's there or talk to people or call crisis lines or speak with a therapist, whoever it is you feel safe with, even journaling. That sounds odd, but journaling can actually foster community because we're, we're still talking and having a relationship, even if it's just with a piece of paper, but taking steps to really give ourselves extra support. I mean, there's a reason that one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is better are two than one for when one falls down, the other can help them up. There's a reason for that. And I'm, I'm a science dork, obviously, and there's no biological support for that. Like there's, we were wired to be in relationship. And so um, I know I, I said a lot there, but just a couple of things is to have grace for ourselves if we're struggling to be in relationship, because that's a very common trauma response that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and that's a part of our brain trying to protect and cope with what's happening and to also do what we can as we feel safe to reach out to others that we feel safe with because we do need that support to help our brains continue in a healthy path or path and to cope with what's happening. Is there a role for physical exercise in helping to stimulate something in us when we are feeling um, lonely and isolated in our, our circumstance that can help us through trauma? A resounding yes. <laughs> um, uh, physical exercise and activity is very, very, very important for our well-being. And I'll actually say before I go into the specifics of exercise, people remember the basics. Our brains, our bodies, all of it, we need to have enough water. We need healthy food. We need exercise. We need enough sleep. Actually, there's a plethora of research that shows when we are missing those pieces, our emotional well-being and our psychological well-being is not up to par and we struggle substantially. So when you're dealing with trauma and then you have all of that on top of it, it's compounding and making things harder. But regarding specifically the exercise, when we exercise, I won't get into all the neurobiological details because I get excited about it. and It's not pertinent to this. The, the brain releases 
hormones and chemicals that literally help our brain to cope with emotions, the parts of our brain that are involving emotions and processing and memory. And it, it actually has been found to really help with decreasing depression, anxiety, traumatic stress, a number of things. Exercise is an incredibly powerful natural way to help ourselves. Um, it also is very helpful in helping the brain to integrate. So what happens with trauma is our brain is struggling to communicate with itself to process what's happening and to cope with what's happening. So we say it gets disintegrated. It's not communicating effectively. And so exercise actually helps the brain to do that because with trauma and traumatic situations, we need, the brain needs help in integrating and being able to communicate and cope effectively. And exercise is a very powerful tool in helping people do that. So whether it is going on a short walk for a few minutes or um, running or working out or boxing, I always use that because that's one of my techniques to cope with things. And I, I say that I'm a trauma therapist, so I hear so much that I just need to go punch something um, sometimes. <laughs> but whatever that physical exercise looks for you, it doesn't have to be you being a professional weightlifter, any sort of exercise can help your brain stimulate and help get your brain more integrated and cope well. So I really appreciate that question. Thanks for that. I just have one final question. If we feel like, you know, I'm doing fine, but I'm observing others around me who aren't, what's a, what's a good way for us to encourage those around us? I think about seniors who are in nursing homes who are literally isolated from their loved yes. ones. What's the, what are some constructive ways we can encourage others that we see in decline because they are experiencing the fallout of this, this um, collective trauma? Yeah. And, you know, Georgine, I really appreciate that question because in just a few seconds, you gave the spectrum and saying that even though we're all in this time of collective trauma, we're all impacted differently, where some people may actually be doing fairly well, that, that spectrum goes on until PTSD, for example. Like, there's so many areas, but... Um, you know, I think one of the most basic things that I always go back to when I hear how can I encourage others is number one, meet them where they are. And I know I keep saying that, but I think that's crucial. Yeah, it's worth repeating. Yeah, just <laughs> I, I meeting someone where they are and listening to them. When, when I mean listening, I mean truly being present with them wherever they are. It doesn't matter if we understand it. It doesn't matter if we agree with it. None of that matters. But truly being the authentic presence of, I'm here for you. I care about you. I may not have answers, but I'm still with you through this. Or here are some resources I have if you have them. If it's something that would be helpful, we don't ever want to push things on anybody either. But really just being a presence of, I accept you, I value you, and giving empathy and unconditional positive regard. In reality, people don't often remember what we say. Like I sometimes I, I, uh, I always laugh. As a counselor, sometimes I'll have what I think of as like zingers of, oh, that was a really good one. I hope they remember that. But in reality, people come back and come back to me and that's not what they remember. What they remember is feeling safe and seen and heard because like I was saying in our society, so often we are told to just keep pushing through and pushing it down and, and ignore it or um, pray it away even sometimes and just whatever it is, don't allow yourself to be where you are. And so that safe space, I think, is number one. Um, after that, encouraging them to meet themselves where they are with acceptance and love. So modeling that for them and then encouraging them to do that as well. And kind of like we would encourage ourselves to do, encouraging them to take care of themselves in a compassionate and empathetic way 
where they're helping themselves and the, the points of well-being, um, like we talked about earlier. Um, and I always want to instill hope, too, because in reality, in times like this, people feel trapped, we feel stuck, and trauma really leaves us feeling, will I ever get better, and will I ever feel better? Because the brain is literally overwhelmed. Um, and so something that I, I like to share with people that I hope is an encouragement is God really, truly designed our brain to grow and to always be trying to grow and be restored in places where things are disconnected or not working properly. Um, I actually think about nature. If you look around in nature, I was thinking about this recently. Plants and trees grow up. They're always designed to grow. And we're the same as people. We were designed to grow and to change. And so giving people hope, I wouldn't do this work if there wasn't hope to recover from trauma. I wouldn't. It would be way too depressing, <laughs> right? And so reminding people too, I'm here for you. And there's hope that your brain can recover and it can, this distress can decrease and we can help you process and cope through this. And there's resources and there's trauma therapists. And, and even just if people aren't comfortable with therapists, because that's a very valid thing. There's been a lot of trauma in therapy too. So I never want to neglect that. Even just being in relationship with yourself and others and God, there's so many ways that our brain can grow and change. But I, I also like to encourage people in that. Your brain was desired to grow and to, to become integrated and to become well. And so let's help it get there and let's help it grow in a way that is impactful and beneficial for you. Oh, that's so encouraging, Danielle. And, you know, we talked about kind of that spectrum of people and I'm a mom. I've got two boys. They're um, going into eighth grade and going into fifth grade. And they're definitely old enough that they've got some pretty good vocabulary with their feelings. But I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of our friends have kids that are even younger um, that might have a hard time expressing what they're feeling. And even with my boys as, as old as they are, um, you know, there's days that you can just tell they're just off. And so, yeah. you know, I, I wonder if that's part of this collective trauma, but how could we recognize that in kids as parents and how can we best, you know, kind of help them along with that to even recognize it as what it is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Summer, I think that's funny. And I'm, I'm just going to share your expertise back with yourself as a parent. You just answered your own question. <laughs> when our kids are off, you are absolutely correct. Um, and that something is different, right? They're, they're struggling to process, even when collective trauma isn't happening. When something is off, we're noticing that something in them is different and they may need extra support. But in this time of collective trauma, I emphatically um, try to encourage people to remember our children are also being affected by collective trauma. I have a toddler. She's, she's not even two. And to see the changes in her in response to this time of collective trauma, it is astounding. They are humans. They, they're bringing in, they're soaking in all the information, even if they don't even know what's happening less than us. Their bodies, their um, nervous systems, they're all responding to it and soaking it in. And so I, I loved how you phrase that. When our kids are off, pay attention to that. Um, regardless of the age, collective trauma impacts the physical well-being, the emotional well-being, the spiritual well-being and the relational well-being, like I was saying. And so, um, and one thing I encourage everyone to do, if it's something that they think would be helpful, I actually have created a public resource um, on 
collective trauma when our world is, is turned upside down. If um, my university and I have partnered to share this with the public right now, which gives a lot more information than what I can and more examples of what I'm saying in those four categories um, than what we can in the podcast. Um, if you want access to that course to get more information on the specifics of those big four categories and to be able to see some examples, whether it's for kids or adults, like I said, they all can look similar and depending on the developmental stages, it can look a little different, but www.multnomaplus.com. And it's when our world is turned upside down course. And so I want to share that because we can get into more specifics, but going back to the question with our kids, we need to watch for the same things we would ourselves. If they're looking more tired, for example, I'll give some examples of physical. Um, If their appetite has changed, If they are complaining of headaches or not feeling well, um, that can be some examples of physical for emotional. If they're really struggling to cope, (laughs) if they're having more meltdowns, regardless of the age, if they're yelling more, if they're demonstrating really intense emotions, or even if they're shutting down, those are some very common examples. Um, Relationally, if they're withdrawing, if they're being more um, asking for more affection, even going back to what you said, Summer, if our children seem off, it's because they are. And so listening to our instincts as parents, when our children don't seem like quote unquote themselves, it's because they're struggling too. Mm -hmm. And so leaning into that, depending on their developmental stage, um, something that I love to do is the feeling wheel. So for older kids, like you were saying, Summer, bringing out the feeling wheel and as a family talking about what feelings we have on that feeling wheel. And if you just type feeling wheel into Google, you'll find it. Um, but sitting down as a family and saying, what are we feeling right now? Let's talk about it. And how can we support ourselves and respond? Um, asking your child what they need. Maybe they just need to sit on the couch and snuggle. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need to talk. It really depends on the child, but asking them what they need and when they're littler, of course, it's a bit different, but, um, but yeah, so listening to their signs, paying attention and then responding accordingly. Mm-hmm. I hope that's helpful. It is. Thank you. I think that is really helpful, not just for me, but for everyone listening with, with kids at home. And, you know, the challenge that goes along with that too is, you know, we want to, sometimes we're teaching them the vocabulary as they're experiencing stuff. And I know my oldest is a research junkie. He likes to get on the news and he wants to see the latest of what's happening. Um, And we've been trying to to engage in conversation with him so that that's a guided experience because we don't want him exposed to too much, too fast, or to experience more trauma because of that. But uh, with my youngest, he's, he's blissfully ignorant. He's like, there's stuff going on. I'm going to play Legos. So they're in totally different, you know, arenas. And I think that's a lot of families. Kids are, no two kids are alike necessarily. Um, But is there a way that we can kind of help them have the vocabulary or explain what's going on in the world without adding to trauma, but also not watering it down too much. Like that's a, that's a delicate balance to walk and it probably varies for each family and each kid, but are there some good ways that we can equip them with the language and the vocabulary to understand what's going on right now? Yeah. And so I love what you said and that it varies greatly between family and child and developmental stage too, because where my child is going to be very different from where your children are, for example, or even your two children. Um, (laughs) And so, so there is that variance piece, but you're right, it is a very fine line because if we don't have these conversations with them, what are we modeling, right? We're modeling not processing, not coping. We're modeling just ignoring something and playing whack-a-mole, which what happens in the game whack-a-mole? It comes back up and bites you in the butt. We don't want that to happen to our kids. We want them to be able to learn to process and us to support them and collaborate with them and help them process and be their partners in learning what that looks like for them because it's going to look different even for us. Um, 
And so it is very important, especially surrounding situations like the pandemic or systemic oppression. It's very harmful for kids to not talk about these things. But you're right, we don't want to traumatize them further. Um, and so there is not a quick and easy way to respond to that. But one thing I will say is one of the best things we can do is doing our research first mm-hmm. and knowing about the issues and knowing about what's happening and knowing what coping and processing looks like. Um, and even just looking into talking to kids about these issues, there's a number of really valuable resources. One I've actually come across recently that I love. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of it. It's called. It's a book called Something Happened in Our Town about racism and systemic oppression. That's a really, really great, it's for children. And so, um, and I think it was actually created by the um, American Psychological Association. And it's, it is a resource that allows children to learn how to talk and process and actually models parents and children talking about these issues. I think one of the families is a a white Caucasian family, another one is a black family. And so it's a really beautiful story of being able to go through that with the children. And, And sometimes resources have words that are even better than we could do because there's been a lot of research and looking into it. And so um, as a parent, I'll tell you, even though this is the field I'm in, I'm always looking for more resources because I don't ever have all the answers. And as my child goes through new stages, I'm like, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> it is important to have those conversations with our children too. So for example, I'll just say, um, share something that I've been saying to my toddler. Um, when we're outside, it can be very traumatizing for children to not allow them to go up to people or pets, um, especially when they don't understand. And so as that's been happening, I've been realizing how important it is in that moment to talk to my daughter. She might not fully understand what I'm saying, but to have a conversation and explain to her that this isn't going to be forever and just briefly share with her, you know, baby, remember, we can't go talk to people, go up close to people right now just because there's a lot of people getting sick and there's a virus going around, but it's okay. It won't be forever. And so being able to meet them developmentally, even if they don't get it all, that's okay. But just lovingly, supportingly saying, I'm with you. We're going to get through this, ask what they need. But I, like I said, I'm sorry, that's not a quick and easy answer. I wish there was. But um, to summarize again, meeting them developmentally where they are. If our kids are getting really distressed by the conversation, that's a huge cue that we need to back off and that we need to meet them more where they are um, and to then respond to their needs. And so gauging their needs, like you were saying earlier, too, and whatever conversations we're having and doing it a little bit at a time can be very beneficial along the way are you feeling down today? You know, what's going on? Or, um, oh, well, I'm feeling down because I miss my friends. Yeah, it can be really hard right now. Um, I know that the pandemic has a lot of us staying at home. And it's, it's not fun. And I'm really sorry that you're going through that. And what can we do to make your day better? So even little things like that, you're not sitting there sitting them down going, the pandemic is killing a lot of people and, and getting into traumatizing <laughs> teachers, right? But right. just reminding, helping them know what's happening and, and helping them process along with them and partnering with them through that. Mm. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, Danielle, you know, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. I know that this was a tough topic because it was more than one. And I think we got a lot of good stuff in there. Um, Tell us where our listeners can find you to learn more through your blog and maybe articles on trauma. Yeah. So if you go to psychology today um, and you type in Danielle Render Termo, I actually have a number of articles on trauma and specifically collective trauma right now because that's so big. Um, So some of those articles, for example, you could also type it into Google, what is collective trauma is one of them. Trauma of pandemic proportions is another. Um, There's a number of articles that I have, but if you go to psychologytoday.com, you can type in Danielle Rinder-Termo or any of those articles and you'll find my site and a list of those articles. Um, And then again, 
that resource I shared earlier, which is um, the public resource at multnomaplus.com is also a, um, I, I call it a course and I want to give a caveat there. What it is, is it's resources you go at through your own pace online. Um, some very short little video clips and some specific resources, some worksheets, some things that you can do on your own to support you during this time. So hopefully those resources are helpful and I encourage all of you to meet yourselves where you are today um, and moment by moment because that changes every moment. So it does. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Danielle, so much. And we'll make sure that all the links to those resources and some of those articles will be on our podcast summary page. So when you go to thefishportland.com or kpdq.com, those links will be there right under the podcast. So you can just click on them and, and navigate and get some of those great resources. Danielle, thank you so much again for joining us. And thank you for listening to this episode of Life Inspired. And we also invite you to join the conversation on our Facebook and on our Instagram at Life Inspired Podcast and let us know how you relate. I hope this was helpful. Georgine and Summer, as always, thank you guys so much. You are amazing. And <laughs> I, I just, I love this format. So uh, thank you again. I, I will say this, this will not be the last time we hear from Miss Danielle. So thank you so much for joining our Fish and KPDQ family. Thank and you. I am certain that we're going to have you on our podcast again. <laughs> That's great. I would love to. Anyway, love you, Danielle. <laughs> love you guys too. Thank you. Thank you.